So let, let's first state the obvious, and that is that Parshat Truma has this sudden change from everything that we've had beforehand. And I know that you can imagine that I said the same thing last week, that Parshat Mishpatim had this sudden change from everything that was there before, but it's both true. But th- there is a major difference, that Parshat Mishpatim, dealing with a lot of interpersonal laws, that we can understand how the... Uh, that's a necessary follow-up of the Aseret Tadibrod. It's this whole idea of building a Mishkan, which, which, you know, I guess for some of us comes out of nowhere. And what I really want to try to do is to figure out what that nowhere is, you know, where, where it came out of, what, what exactly happened. And I'm going to say another thing. I think that there's multiple reasons, but I really want to focus on one, which I think is the most immediate of the reasons, and it's going to give us, I hope, a little bit more insight. And one of the things that we have to note is that it doesn't say Vasuli Mikdash that make a Mikdash for Shachanti Bitocha that build me a Mishkan so that I will have a place to be. Rather, Bitocham, that Kodesh Baruch Hu, that God is going to be able somehow to be within the midst of the people. It, it continues, Everything I'm going to show you. That kind of verse is repeated multiple times over the next couple of chapters, most of the time actually saying that as seen on the mountain, but over here is as God is going to show, and specifically the first thing they're told about is the Aron, which again is a little strange, because you would have thought the first thing is actually the structure and then the, the furniture, but over here the Aron is first. And it continues with the Aron, and we're skipping a little bit to Pasuk Tetzayin, and you're going to put there the Edut, which I'm going to give you. So the term or word Edut, testimony, for what we know to be the luchot, the, the tablets, is an interesting turn of phrase, and that's one of the things we're going to need to look at is exactly what that phrase is, or how it's understood. The other thing is this kaporet is going to be placed on top of it, and the word the word kaporet for the thing on top is quite interesting. The kruvim is quite interesting. It's I guess uh, some of you must have noted how the kruvim always come out this type of year, this time of year we read about the Kruvim, right, by Valentine's Day, so obviously that's part of what Chazal had in mind. And my father's birthday is indeed Valentine's Day, which he doesn't celebrate, because his Hebrew birthday is a better day than that, and that's Zayin Adar. So he, uh, he, goes, he goes by that one. So. so the Kruvim are here as well, the kaporet, and it's mentioned numerous times, and again it's mentioned Pasuk of Aleph, v'natata et ha-kaporet al-aromi l'mala, v'taron titein, ve'el ha-aron titein, et ha-edut asheritein elacha. So a couple of times already, these uh, tablets are called the, the testimony. V'noadati l'cha sham v'dibarti itach me'al ha-kaporet mi'ben shnei ha-kruvim asher al ha-aron ha-edut. And here, again, the word edut is used referring to the aron. It so on the one hand, and, and, and again, all of this is going to be simple and straightforward and obvious. 
on the one hand, we're going to have a problem. And then when Moshe comes down with Luchot, the problem's going to be, what do you do with them? What do you do when you have the most valuable thing in the history of the world? So where do you put them? So we have a very functional understanding at first, and that is that you need to place it in something, so therefore you need an Aron. And then you have a second problem, so where do you put the Aron? So therefore you need a Mishkan. So as I said, I can understand this very functionally. Um, all of that, by the way, is independent of any other usage ultimately, kind of like, uh, yeah, there's going to be some things called korbanot, which means I could have a, a safer shmot, or at least this part of shmot, understanding of the mishkan, independently of a safer vayikra, understanding of the use of the mishkan. And this other part about the place of revelation, so therefore you're going to put the revelation that already took place, the edut, the seretatibrot, and then there's going to be this ongoing revelation. And of course the Ramban is going to tell us that Therefore, there is this connection between the Mishkan and between Harsinai, and in a certain sense, this is the logical conclusion. Although, for the rest of the day, I'm going to, I, I think, avoid or sidestep the Ramban's understanding, and again, those of us who've done this before know that there are two basic understandings, and the Ramban is the easier one, everything's in the right sequence, and that's you know straightforward and simple enough. But according to Rashi, everything is a little bit more complex, and as part of that complexity, I'm going to try to unravel as we move forward. I will note that the term edut had already been used prior, but it's not going to help us that much. It was used by the Mun, we're told, to take some and put it in a time capsule. In, in Source 2, Pasuk Lamed Gimel, now that lefnei Hashem is a term which is usually used for the Mishkan. As God commanded. So again, the edut is used, and the only problem with this is this is Perak Tedzayin, and they're not even by Sinai yet. But the next pasuk says, that they ate the man for the next 40 years. So one would suspect that this entire section over here is from a later perspective. And therefore, the fact that this is called Eidut, and there's Lefnei Hashem, and Mishkan seems to be in this narrative, is again, that that's surprising, but it didn't necessarily help us with Eidut. Although, the Mun itself, the time capsule, is some type of a, uh, a, a, of a testimony. It does attest to something, which is why it's put there. Source number three, the Midrash writes, or tells us, Eta Eidut, Eidut HaTorah Laulam, Shekadosh Baruch Hu Bachar B'Yisrael, V'natam Lahem Et Torato that this is the testimony forever that God chose the Jews and gave them the Torah. Now, I'm not convinced that we right now understand properly this Midrash. And you have to give me a little bit of time because I'm going to come back to it. Rashi says something very difficult. Sorry. Rashi says something very similar. Ha'edut ha'Torah. She'hi la'edut mitzvot that this is the testimony that I've given you the Torah, which again points towards chosenness and points towards this uniqueness of the people. The Rashbam eta edut haluchot. Again, being more specific, what does this word edut refer to? To the tablets. Shehem edut uvrit. Now, another word which may have been implied by those other commentaries that we saw till now. A covenant. Bein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael. Ulekach nikreu luchot habrit. Why are they called the Chotabrit? Because there's a covenant. What are the Eidut? Eidut is the 
testimony of the covenant which took place. And perhaps these are two sides of the same coin, that there is a covenant and that there is testimony. And I'm going to say it again. All of this right now sounds somewhat straightforward, but there is something which is deeper that we need to identify. In source number seven, the Ibn Ezra says, and, and he's going to raise some problems. And the problems that he raises are going to be some of the things that should have been in the background of our minds, that we should have realized that there are some moving pieces over here that we need to get in, in order. Now that itself is a very uh, interesting turn of phrase, that this is like the Ketuvah, there's a marriage that takes place between God and the Jewish people, and these, in a certain sense, are the terms of the responsibility. Which means again the edut and the luchot and the brit and so all of that is right there in the Ibn Ezra. Okay, and later on the they're going to be placed in Aaron. Now part of what he's responding to, you know, Rashi said Torah and the Midrash said Torah, and they didn't mean the five books of Moses and the all the parshiot. I mean the Saratati Brit are also Torah. Well, they meant his Torah in a very generic sense. The Sefer Torah, some are Kohanim, mitzad Aaron Brit Hashem mibachutz. Va'od katuv ein baron rak shnei luchot avanim umachalkati. And what he's pointing at, there is a difference of opinion exactly what is inside the Ark. Yesh l'shol hinei katuv Amar l'Moshe v'natata el Aaron haluchot asher tenelacha. Moshe was commanded to put the tablets that he's going to receive to put them in the Aaron. And it says, furthermore, Moshe was handed these tablets. But here's the problem. That Moshe broke the tablets and he didn't fulfill the will of God. Now, I, I want to be a mechutzef. You know, there are a couple of things that we know, or we're told, or we're taught, that Moshe didn't do as per God's will. So, for example, uh, we have, uh, okay, we'll give the best example. Moshe hits the rock. Now, what if I were now to theorize that the hitting the rock, essentially trying to break a rock, is punishment for Moshe breaking the luchot? Which means, who said breaking the luchot is the right thing? And you realize, of course, that I can now try to develop this whole theory. And and, and by the way, I don't think that no one ever has to suggest. Because breaking, hitting the rock seems so minor. Taking the most valuable and holy thing that ever existed in this world and throwing it into the ground and breaking it. Now, you all know that there are rabbinic teachings that are supportive of this. But nonetheless, what the Ibn Ezra is starting with is a question. And I'm going to tell you, he's not the only one who asks this. All the Balea Tosfot who write on the Chumash, they all ask the same question. How, and it could, sometimes you ask a question because you're troubled by the question. Sometimes you ask a question because you want to give an answer. And once you understand, I think, the proper answer, you're going to realize that there's no question, really. But nonetheless, it gets to really the crux of this. You know, how can Moshe do this? So l- let's go in and take a look again and... Maybe we'll start with the Ibn Ezra's answer, and then we'll see some more. So the Ibn Ezra says, you know, how can he do this? Again, he didn't fulfill God's mitzvah. By the way, it's much worse than that. You know, there, there, there is, you didn't do the mitzvah putting in the Aaron. You did much worse. You broke this thing that God gave you to bring to the people. The Yesh Lashiv, the Ibn Ezra writes, you, can, you know, we can respond. Ulai ba'avur zeh 
Amru Chachamenu, Kishivrei Luchotein Munachin Ba'aron. Maybe that was the motivation for the rabbis to say that the broken Luchot were also in the Aron. Now, by the way, everything to this point sounds very technical and very pragmatic and very functional, and we're missing really the drama which is behind this, which I'm still not going to share with you. In source number six, the Gemara tells us, this is what he's referring to, so one opinion of the Gemara is, opinion of Yosef, is that the broken Luchot are in the Aron together with Luchot, which is really what the Ibn Ezra got to. Maybe one has to say that. The Idach, the other opinion is, to Lakish, it follows the opinion of Reish Lakish, where Reish Lakish understands the words, Asher Shibarta, Shibarta. That Asher Shibarta comes to say that a Kaddish Baruch Yashakawach, you know, Kolakavod, you did the right thing. So just in case we're stand, standing here and questioning, how did Moshe not fulfill the will of God and not, you know, give the Luchot to the people? And worse than that, that he broke the Luchot and not follow the commandment of God to put it in the Aaron. No, this is actually, he fulfilled the will of God. So the first approach that Ibn Ezra takes is that, no, maybe uh, this is exactly what it means that the, that the first Luchot were also in the Aaron. And this approach is not contradicted by any psukim. Because they're both called Luchot Abrit. And when it says that Moshe puts them in, it could refer to either or both. But one can further say, and I think this is getting more to the issue, that this section is actually only talking about the second Luchot. That both of them are referred to which God gave. We never see that God said to make an Aaron for the first Luchot. Why did God never tell Moshe? Maybe he's saying before Moshe went up. Why did he never say, by the way, Bill, get an ark, get ready, so when you come down, because he knows they're going to be broken, which is really quite radical. Rak, Amar al-Luchot she-paslam Moshe, Rak, Amar al-Luchot she-paslam Moshe, it's only the second luchot that Moshe actually carved. That's the one that was supposed to put in the iron. Now, I'm going to say it again. There's something else which is going on and let's try to figure it out. This Forno, you know, who seems to have a very Vayikra understanding of what's going on, writes, V'natata el Aron, Be'er inyano bioto kli bilti naot lovodat shum zavach. That, you know, this needs to be explained, because this is a clear utensil, the Aron, that has nothing to do with the korbanot, which means, and by the way, korbanot were not introduced. I'm not saying there's no korbanot yet, but no one ever said anything about the Mishkan in terms of korbanot which I'm going to say it again. The initial reason for the Mishkan is functional, to make an Aaron, to put the Luchot, to have a place to put the Aaron. Now, let's go backwards a little bit because we need a little bit more context. The term Eidut was used regarding the Luchot in a previous place, and this is in Source 11. This is at the very end of the section, right before Moshe, again, is handed, this is when he's handed the Luchot, a little bit before he comes down. And you realize that it's very wordy. It could have said, and God gave him the Luchot. It could have said, Luchot Evan. It could have said, Luchot Eidut, Luchot Evan, Ketutim Ve'etzvarelokim. There's a lot there. Part of what concerns me is, why is it called Eidut? And you're going to say, but we already told why it's called Eidut. But there's a whole other issue. 
And this Pasuk is where Rashi writes. Now, for some of us, this may have been elusive to know, hold it, where did Rashi write this? Maybe people are looking for it in this week's parsha. Right? The Torah doesn't necessarily follow chronological integrity, and things are reported not in the way that they happened. The action, the sin of the Egel took place long before the instructions to build the Mishkan. Now, if you stop right there for a second, we are now in Paraklamid Aleph, and the sin of the Egel is about to be described in Paraklamid Bed, which means what Rashi is telling us that Parakafe, Kafav, Kafsain, Kafchet, Kaftet, Lamid, all of those happened after Paraklamid Bed. Now that's very important, because we didn't read it then, and we're going to have to reread it. He continues and it says, Right? Moshe goes up, he's there for 40 days, he goes up theoretically pretty much around Vav Sivan, he's there for 40 days, by Shavasa Batamuz is when the Luchot are broken. That's when God forgives the people. At the end, Rashi writes, Going back to our romantic understanding. Now, let's go back a second <laughs> to source number 9, and then we're going to try to work some things out. Source number 9 is in Paraklamid Bed. The Chet Egel just took place. And God returns to Moshe and says, that's it, I'm going to destroy them, make, right? make a nation out of you. And Moshe prays. Moshe prays, and essentially his prayer has two different points. One point is, what will they say in Egypt? This will be a big chil Hashem. And the second point is, and you have a covenant with the Avot. And instead of destroying the Jewish people, the Jewish people will continue to exist. Moshe turns, and the two luchot of testimony are in his hand. Much more description. So now I want to go back to that previous verse, which was in source number 11, and God gives him when he, can, when he finishes speaking to him. And I want to ask a really simple question. We're being told what happened up above in Har Sinai. And my question is, and what's taking place below on the foot of the mountain? Which means, how does the timeline work between the sin which is developing below, the people being nervous, the people turning to Aaron, the people saying to Aaron, make for us a god, and then Aaron starting and collecting the materials, and then the and then waiting for tomorrow, and there be a holiday for God tomorrow, and then they start worshiping, which means, how do the two timelines work out? So I'm going to tell you my suspicion, and you can argue with me on this, I'll at least admit that. My suspicion is is that even that first time when it says that God gives him the edut, God gives him after the sin has already begun. Then he tells him about it. And then now the question is, are the Jewish people going to continue as a people? And by the way, if they don't continue as a people, then they obviously don't need the luchot. Moreover, the fact that the luchot are given to this people shows that the covenant still exists. Which means when we read before that this is testimony that God has given this to the people, or that the covenant with the Avot, Luchot Habrit, the covenant still exists, all of that was very nice when we were reading it in Perikafhe. 
but we weren't paying attention that Perik Kaf Hay takes place after Perik Lamed Aleph and Perik Lamed Bet when there is this, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say an elephant in the room, but there's a golden calf in the room. And the golden calf changes everything because now on the table was a possible punishment that they're not going to receive. They forget receiving. They're not going to exist. They're going to be destroyed. So therefore, when Moshe davins, and essentially God says, okay, carry on, and gives the luchot, and luchot are now brought down to the people, so those luchot being brought down are luchot ha'edut, their testimony, that this relationship has been saved, it's been salvaged, they're going to be able to continue. Which means, again, my point is very obvious, and it's Rashi. Rashi, it's, it's Rashi and understanding the implication of Rashi. Rashi said that the commandment to build the Mishkan took place after the eagle took place. Okay, now read everything about those instructions through the understanding that that sin had already taken place. And you're saying, why do you need testimony? Why do you need to stress about the covenant? And that's why I said, as we were reading those verses, we didn't necessarily understand what we were reading because we're reading them independently of any kind of national trauma that had just taken place. So, so far, to understand that the Luchot are luchot edut. I hope is a little bit more meaningful, and that's why I said my suspicion is going back and now taking a look at source eleven, Perak Lamed Aleph. But Yitainu Moshe Kachatoli Beruto Bahar Sinai Shnei Luchot Edut Luchot Evin Ktuvim Be'etz Ba'Lokim. There it's called luchot edut, even though immediately afterwards is where the Chet Egel is described. But my suspicion, I'm going to say it again, is as far as the timeline goes, that this is what's taking place already while up above God is giving him the luchot. The chet has already taken place. And now he says to him, look what's happened below. And at that point, Moshe starts to pray. Now, let's now continue what happens afterwards. And I think this is now going to help us understand this whole thing a lot better. Source 13 starts in Perik Lamed Bet. Moshe comes down. Maybe I can bring you bad atonement. By the way, he does bring about atonement. One of the things that he brings about eventually is uh, to get to this point of getting new luchot and, uh, and for that matter, getting a Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is going to be a new luchot. There is going to be an atonement. I just want to read one thing before I continue here. The Sfarno in Source 10 says, biyado, that he goes down with the luchot, ki alehem Moshe thought, perhaps naively, that as soon as they see him coming, certainly with luchot, they're all going to immediately do tshuva. And say, what kind of mistake did we make? You know, look at the, the look at the luchot. It says on it, don't worship other gods. It says on it, anochi. They're going to say, oops, like we made this tragic mistake. The im'ain, but if they don't recognize it, yishabrim le'neim, lekalot e'neim k'day she'echzor b'tshuva. I'm going to break it right in front of them in order to do something more dramatic for getting to do tshuva. So now let's go. Moshe comes down, he breaks the luchot, and let's say, ends the whole Golden Calf episode itself, but now is the, the next day. And Moshe says, maybe I can get some atonement. Now, now, Moshe knows that something really bad has happened. Moshe knows that proverbially they've dodged the bullet of being destroyed, but there's still implications. Skipping a bit. Moshe argued that, you know, you're going to wipe me out of the book as well, and God doesn't go for this. And then God says in Lamed Dalet, Vata lech et ha'am 
El asher dibartelach, hinei malachi yelech lefanecha. And by the way, that sounds pretty good. My malach will go in front of them. Uviyom pakti pakarati yelayim chatatam. And on the day that they're, you know, that I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember, essentially Rashi says that they get a mortgage, they'll be paying off this debt for a very long time. And then we continue into Perak Lamad Gimel. In typical fashion, God says, your people, your nation that you took out of Egypt. Now, God essentially is saying in this Pasuk, the covenant that I made with the Avot is still on the table. And just like Moshe used that as the argument to save them, God says, I'm going to completely keep my word, and therefore they're going to receive the land. And again, he re- reiterates this point. I'm going to send an angel. And that, and that all sounds great. And it continues in the next Pasuk. Now, in the middle of the Pasuk, and I'm pausing and I shouldn't. And it says that you're going to get rid of all of them. We're going to go to the land, flows of milk and honey. And at this point, everything is great until we get to the second part of Pasuk Yimel. But I'm not going to be in their midst. Because you are stiff-necked people. Because perhaps they're going to sin again and are going to just swallow them up. And the people hear this, And whatever these, you know, this spiritual jewelry or jewelry it is, they, they take it off. And by the way, by saying that, and I'll know what to do, it sounds as if there is still room for negotiating. It sounds like there's not a final sentence which has been given. And the people obey. And now this verse is fascinating and we obviously need to understand it. First, the obvious. This is a thing which is called the Ohomoid. Later on, we're going to come to know of another Ohomoid. Let's not, let's not get confused. Second, God said, I'm not going to be in their midst Moshe, who still wants to continue the conversation or the dialogue with God, seems to have an intuition or understanding that if God is not going to be in their midst, then Moshe, who wants to continue to dialogue with God, needs to leave their midst, and only then will there be able to be a continued conversation. So Moshe picks up his tent, and God is not in their midst, and now neither is Moshe. And Moshe goes outside of the camp. Now, even though God is not in the camp and God says, I'm not going to be with them, they still nonetheless have this kind of a revelation seeing that God is with Moshe and speaks to Moshe. And they have this religious experience, understanding and seeing, witnessing that God is still there and speaking to Moshe, except God is not in their camp and Moshe is not in their camp. And Moshe understands this. 
And again, Yoshua, who, again, the more we look, the more fascinating his character is. You know, he's there halfway up the mountain, and now he's there with Moshe outside of the camp, and he was there fighting against Amalek. Now, I'm not going to explain every single thing that Moshe says, because there's one thing that I want to get to. The Moshe is trying to create some kind of a ritzui, some kind of an acceptance. He wants to fix And that's maybe the most important part for us to hear, that God said, you know, you'll, you know your nation, and God, Moshe says, no, your nation. It's, you know, like parents arguing, you know, whose kid this is. If you're not with us, then it's not worthwhile for us to continue. Which means essentially, even though God says that I'm not going to be with you, Moshe is arguing, but you need to be with us. These are your people. The only way that I'll know that there is any kind of favor here is if you come with me and your nation, and you are with us. He says, that which you requested, I'm going to do. Now, your homework, if you want to, don't worry, I'm not finished. I know whenever in class a teacher says there's homework, then you think it's the end of class. Your homework, if you want to, and you have a, probably a couple of weeks to do this, is read all the Rashis on this chapter. It's actually Lamed Bed, second half of Lamed Bed, and uh, Lamed Gimel. And, and Rashi's going to point out, and there's really one word which is going to come out again and again, and you can see in Source 14, and you see that he says, Ki Essentially, my Shechina can't be with them. But Tim Mamrim, because you, 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 you rebel, and you're going to be wiped out. I'll swallow you up. Lashon Kilion, you'll disappear. Hadavar Hazeh, Hara, the people respond to this terrible news. What this? She'ina Shechina Shara, Malachet Imam, that the Shechina is not with them. Again, if we continue, we realize that that's the issue over here. The Shechina appears in front of Moshe. They see it from afar. So again, this concept of the Shechina moving away and separating from them really should be quite clear. Rashi talks about God speaking to Moshe and using this Ohel Moed. And Rashi writes, This other Ohel Moed existed until the other Ohel Moed existed. And again, he does the math for us. And, he, and, and this was the time of Rachamim. So Moshe goes up, and that's when he goes up for the for the forty days. That's when he gets the second luchot. There is complete healing. Then 
And by the way, a secret, Salach is not written in Shemot, it's only written after the Chet of the Meraglim, so it's very interesting that Rashi just now read it into this section as well. So now, if you think about this a little bit, or maybe we'll read one more line, so if we're going to start, you know, trying to understand what's going on over here, first of all, we have the first Luchot and the second Luchot, and there's a very big difference between them. The first Luchot, if they really are truly given, and, and, and at least part of it, I'm, again, I try to argue all of it, but the first Luchot are, are brought down, or given to Moshe, or taken down after the people have sinned. Moshe breaks it, and nonetheless, they are called Luchot Edut, which means that these are Edut that the covenant still exists. That means if you want to talk about replacement theology, that the Jews can sin and one day be replaced, one day be rejected. Over here you have your argument against replacement theology, because even though they've sinned, and even though there's a Havamina, that God says, no, I'm going to get rid of them, at the end, no. Why? Because there's a covenant, and that covenant remains. So even the broken Luchot symbolize the sin, and symbolize nonetheless testimony that God has not rejected the people. And that's quite significant. On the other hand, there are the second luchot which are given, which represent that God has forgiven the people and God has not rejected the people. But there was something else that took place, and that's something else I want to come back to. That something else is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu agrees to give the second, you know, the first luchot, the broken luchot, and that could symbolize the relationship which still exists. And God says, you're going to go into the land, and he says, I'm going to send my malach, and he says, we're going to chase away all of the inhabitants, but, that's the one thing, I'm not going to be in your midst. And it's on that point that Moshe then continues and prays in order to get that point. And now Moshe does something fascinating. He builds an Ohomoid. God has a really interesting response to all of this, which maybe we haven't understood yet. So, what am I getting at? We need to go back and read, and again, this is Rashi, we need to go back and read Perak Kafhei, beginning of Parsha Truma, where we started today, with the knowledge that Rashi has shared with us, that this takes place after Perak Lamed Aleph, the second half, and Lamed Bet, and Lamed Gimel, which means when Moshe prays, you should be in our midst, how do we start off Parsha Truma? God says, Vasuli Mikdash Vashachanti Bitocham. Now we all take that for granted. Why are we taking that for granted when that's the very thing that God said, I'm not going to do until Moshe said Moshe prays, you need to be in our midst. And God says, Fine, I'll be in your which means Vasuli Mikdash Vashachanti Bitocham is a response to the tefillah of Moshe. Moshe asked for God to remain with the camp. So God says, Okay, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to build the Mishkan. Now, if you understood what I'm getting at, the luchot are a dut that the covenant still exists. The mishkan is a dut that God forgave them for the sin of the golden calf and is still in their midst. Even though, I'll say it again, there was a havamina that God will destroy them and there was a havamina that God says, I won't be in your midst. And I want to point out now a couple of more psukim and, and a couple of more rashis. One thing you can do is you can read through the whole Mizrahi in Source 15 
but he doesn't go far enough and he doesn't say what I wanted him to say. So therefore, he, d- he doesn't get to that point, that, which, which I think is obvious by this point. Look at 16. 16 is all the way back at the, towards the end by uh, Parshat Pekude. Eila Pekude Mishkan, Mishkan Ha'idut. Pukad Moshe. Now you realize that there's a lot of words there. There must have been a way to write this you know, a little more tersely. Now there's two different Rashis in Surah 17, two different Divri HaMatchil. Now, we, we have a Mesora from Nacham Alibuitz that, and she would say this, I, I heard her say this, that you always have to be careful with the Divri HaMatchil. Rashi wrote them, and Rashi is specific about them, and Rashi is Rashi's answering a question about the Divri HaMatchil. The first is the double use of Mishkan. What does it say, El Mishkan? Mishkan. Why is it twice? So Rashi writes, HaMishkan Mishkan, Shtei Pamim, Remez, Lemikdash, Shenit Mashken, this is a hint towards the idea that the Mishkan is a Mashkan, the Mishkan is a collateral in order to be destroyed when the Jews sin. Now, I haven't explained that yet, but first look, look in source 16, in 18, because this is where Rashi's getting it from. It's there as collateral. The, the haters of Israel is how Jews are described when we sin, that we cause, we cause terrible things to the Jews. That if the Sonenim She Yisrael are deserving of destruction, that God says that, I, that the, the building itself will become the collateral. Now that that's a very tr- frightening thought. I mean, it gets worse if we continue. So let's push that, you know, very gently to the side for a moment, and let's understand now what it is that Rashi is telling us. He's saying that the Mishkan itself is Mishkan Ha'idut. The Mishkan itself is there as some kind of... Now, again, look at the words now. Ha'mishkan Ha'idut. Let's read the next line in Rashi. Mishkan Ha'idut. Eidut li'Yisrael sheviter lehem HaKadosh Baruch Hu al-Masa Ha'egel sherei hishra shechinato b'neihem. And as far as I'm concerned, this Rashi now tells you what took place in Parakafe. Meaning, the Mishkan itself is a dut, is testimony that God forgave them from the ego. Why? Because God said, I'm not going to be in your midst, and nonetheless the Shekhinah is in their midst. Which means that there's really different stages over here. But, but also realize something else that happened. God said, if I'm in your midst, you're just going to be destroyed. So God found a solution. What's the solution? I'm going to be in your midst, but you'll build a building, and that's going to be representative. Which means the building now will be destroyed, but you're going to continue. And that's a theme that we read on on, on by the on, on Eicha and Medrash Eicha, and it's, it's found a little bit in the keynote as well, that God takes out his anger on, on, uh, on, on a building made out of wood and stones and so on, which means the Jewish people continue. I mean, let's go back a second. That didn't have to be the case. But of course, it does have to be the case. Why? Because there's a covenant. There's a Brit. There's a Brit with the Avot. But the Brit with the Avot didn't mean 
that God has to have this complete, I'll, I'll say, Shechina with us. He could have kept all the promises without that. And that's where Moshe went on a limb, and that's what Moshe davened for, and that's where Moshe created the reality by building an Ohel Moed, a place of meeting, a place where God can somehow come down. It's as if Moshe suggests the solution and creates the solution by making an Ohel Moed, and then God says, fine, let's make an Ohel Moed, and then you can make, bring that into the camp, and then I'll be in your midst. But what's going to happen? It's going to happen if they sin, so you take away the building, but nonetheless, the Jewish people continue. But what did we gain? Again, the Luchot are called Eidut. They're Eidut that the covenant exists. The connection with the Avot. The Jewish people will continue to exist. But that didn't have to be with the Shechina with them. That's where Moshe pushes and insists that this is your people and you have to be in their midst. That God acquiesces and from then we get the tzivori, the commandment to build the Mishkan. And therefore, what I'm claiming, and I think it's obvious now that you look at all the Rashi's, when a Kaddish Baruch Hu says to Moshe, Va'asuli mikdash v'shachanti betocham, that didn't come out of a vacuum. It's not just functional. It's not just because we need a place to put the luchot. It's not just, and, and, and now, by the way, if you follow Rashi, which luchot are these? For, according to Rashi, it's obvious it's, it's the second luchot. Although I'll say again, Maybe that broken first luchot as well are going to be continued. Maybe they're both testimony. They're, toast, they're testimony we can do something horrific, and God says, no, the covenant still stays. And even if it's horrific, we still get the second luchot. But that didn't mean that God had to be in our midst. The idea of asuli miktosh v'shachanti betocham means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepted the tefillah of Moshe, and it's a response to Moshe's request, and it's saying, yes, I will be in their midst, which, and that's something we completely miss when you read it starting in Parsha Truma because you just think maybe it's functional, maybe we need Korbanot, maybe we need something else, and it's no. Moshe davened, HaKadosh Baruch Hu responded, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, fine, Moshe. You found I, you know, so much favor in God's eyes. God says, fine, I'll do that as well, and I'll be in their midst, which really, you now you understand that this idea of the Kaporet and the Kapora and the day of Yom Kippur and the idea of forgiveness all of that's wrapped together with the Mishkan, but the Mishkan itself we saw is Eidut. The Luchot are Eidut, but they're Eidut to two different things. One is Eidut, and again I'm repeating myself, one is Eidut, the Luchot is Eidut, that the covenant still exists. Luchot Eidut, Luchot Habrit, Luchot Habrit, that the covenant still exists. But the Mishkan is Eidut, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu loves Moshe, loves Am Yisrael, forgave us for the sin, responds to Moshe's prayer, and says, fine, I will be in their midst. Go ahead. Asuli mikdash v'shachanti